Who can forgive sins but God alone? Just so it's clear that I am the Son of Man and authorized to do either or both, he looked down at the paraplegic, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And the man did it. Got up, grabbed his stretcher, and walked out without with everyone there watching him. They rubbed their eyes, stunned, and then praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Okay, what a scene, okay? Now, a couple years ago, I'll show this, a couple, not a couple years ago, gosh, this would have been, I mean, I've been doing the church now for 12 years, this was when I was a junior high pastor, so somewhere between 15 and 20 years ago, I would say, I taught on this at junior high, and you guys would remember the old warehouse that we went to, so it's now a, um, it's now a CrossFit, do you remember this, Rob, do you, do you know anything about Yeah, so they, this was, this was where we used to meet, and actually this, if you can see this, this we kind of would imagine like somebody standing almost kind of in this area and we would kind of do the preaching from here and then we'd have the chairs kind of lined up like this right so we had this and then but what i want you to focus in on is this skylight right there's a skylight and i don't know what is that chris what would you guesstimate how tall is that skylight 25 feet 25, yeah. yeah 25 feet so you know, we thought it was a good idea when I taught this pat. Who we we? <laughs> I've already deflected blame for myself. I thought it was a good idea when I taught through this passage to actually lower somebody through this roof down. So who would I choose? But my little sister. I chose my little sister, Allie, and we we made like it would look probably about like this, maybe a little bit smaller. It's a piece of plywood. I put two by fours on the side of it. Somehow I reinforced it. We had like, you know, pretty thick rope and I got four junior high leaders up on, we got, got them up on the roof. There was a ladder to get up on the roof. They all climbed up on the roof. We opened the skylight and then in the middle of my sermon, we lowered my sister through the skylight down just to really, you know, cause kids need to really see this. Huh? This would have been like. This was before, like, everybody would whip out their cell phone and, and take pictures or videos or TikToks or whatever. But, yeah, so we lowered her. And, again, I guess I think back on, I'm like, man, like, that's kind of a big, like, you come down 25 feet. You know, if there's a little bit of a mistake. And she told me, she's like, after, she's like, I was pretty scared, Eric, you know. But she's like, I went for it. So, anyway, I mean, we probably have enough holes in the roof that somebody could probably dig through right now. I know there is one big one in the back. But we won't be doing any of that this morning. But um, yeah, it was it was it was kind of fun to think about you know that memory of of when we actually you know kind of lived when I actually kind of did that that uh, I guess sermon illustration. Uh, we'll just spend a little bit more time chatting uh, this morning. But let's think about this passage. And one of the things when you think about this passage, you zoom out a little bit, and we're in the midst. We're going to start what's called not in the midst. We're going to start something called the conflict narratives. Okay the conflict narratives. And here's the deal. Jesus is going to do something, right? He's going to be questioned or challenged about what he does. And then he is going to respond unconventionally in all three, in all of these situations, right? So we just talked about the healing of a paralyzed man, right? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they sit there, they're thinking, 
why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming, right? And then Jesus replies, and he replies unconventionally, right? So he heals the paralyzed man, scribes claim blasphemy. He re, the, his response is unconventional. The next passage we'll look at next week, Jesus eats with sinners. The Pharisees question his motives, right? And then Jesus says, remember, I didn't come to, for, for the sick, I, or for the healthy, I came for the sick, right? Um, Jesus' Jesus's disciples are not fasting. People are asking why his disciples aren't fasting. He talks about the bride and the bridegroom, um, a, a new piece of cloth onto an old garment. Uh, Jesus' disciples eat grain on the Sabbath. The Pharisees ask why. He responds by uh, quoting what David did when he was on the run, and he goes into the temple. He goes into the house of the Lord and eats the consecrated bread. Um, and then chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, is kind of the end of these conflict narratives. Jesus, my favorite healing, heals a man with a shriveled hand. The Pharisees um, plot to kill him. Now, as we work through these conflict narratives, I thought one of the things that a guy named Tim Gombas, I've quoted him quite a few times, one of the, the commentaries I've been working through, he makes this, this really interesting kind of comment about this, this bracket of, of conflict narratives, right? We're going to begin with this healing about the paralyzed man, and, they both, and then we're going to end with the healing with the shriveled hand. Both healings end up with someone leaving, right? And then he says, but there's a contrast, you guys have probably all read through it already, huh? In the opening encounter, he healed, the healed man leaves and everybody's praising God, right? Everybody praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. In the closing confrontation, the Pharisees leave and begin to plot to kill Jesus. Now notice we're in chapter 3 and we've moved from just suspicion of blasphemy to scheming to murder, right? So we've moved from just suspicion of blasphemy to scheming of murder. So in this first healing... Right? In this first healing where we see the man's lower through the roof, right? And Jesus looks at their faith, and then what does he say to the man? Does anybody remember? Not yet. It's lower through the roof, and Jesus says to the man, Your sins are forgiven. Right? So this is, to me, as you kind of think about this passage, this might be like, I guess, one of the elephants in the room or one of the elephants in the passage. Like, the man's lowered through the roof, right? And then Jesus says, Okay, your sins are forgiven. And what happens is, is we, in our own minds, right, we, I would say this, we have this assumption that there is, so to speak, there's a boundary, right, there's a fixed boundary between, right, the physical, the body, healing, so to speak, the church, right, and then on the other side of that boundary is, you know, there's the spiritual, there's the soul, there's forgiveness, there's kind of medicine, right, and so we kind of have this in our mind. It's just like he, he comes down and we're thinking like, okay, he's paralyzed. What does he want? He wants healing. And what does Jesus do? He forgives his sins, right? And we kind of start with this. And we have to say, Jesus, why did you begin with that, right? I think one of the things that's important for us to think about this as we consider, is this my, yeah, as we consider this boundary that I think a lot of us here in the West consider, right, between the physical and the spiritual, the body and the soul, the healing and the forgiveness, I think one of the things that I want us, a big point that I want us to consider as we think about this is I want to say that sin destroys all of you, like all of us, right? Sin will destroy every single aspect of who you are, who we are, our society, our world, our environment. There is not one thing that sin will destroy. 
So when we think about this kind of assumption, right, that, we, that there is this boundary, I don't think that sin sees any boundary here. Sin wants to destroy all of you, right? It doesn't matter physical or soul, body or um, spiritual, church, or like it wants to destroy everything. Now, as we think about this too, and as we think about this, the boundary between the two, I would say that one of the things maybe we need to kind of recalibrate or rethink about is that boundary, that division between the physical and the spiritual, the body and the soul, that kind of church, so to speak, in medicine, right? There's been a lot of studies about this, and without going really, really deep into this, you could take an example. I was kind of looking up some of this stuff and doing some research this week. You could take an example like bitterness, right? Let's say, um, who am I going to use for? Christy, can can I use you for an example this morning? Okay, Christy, you have a wonderful job you like. Right? You have a coworker you really like. What's her name? His name? Rhonda. Rhonda. Veronica. Veronica. Okay. Veronica um, just completely stabs you in the back. Right? I don't know what the situation is. If there's a promotion to happen or whatever, and just goes behind your back and stabs you in the back, and just you end up losing your job because of what she did. Right? And because of that, like, man, uh, Veronica goes from a very nice coworker who you like to somebody whom you're extremely bitter and resentful towards, right? What happens is if you were to allow that, that bitterness, that resentment to go unchecked and just to kind of fester months, years, every time you think about her, you get sick, whatever, you're like, oh, man, I can't, right? And you lay in bed thinking, if I ever see her, this is, Right? There were some studies about, about this and what happens with people who kind of allow bitterness to go unchecked in their lives. There was a guy who was a professor at Concordia, did some studies on this. His name was um, Carson Warsh. And he says that persistent bitterness may result in feelings of, what, anger, hostility, that when strong enough could affect a person's physical health. When harbored for a long time, Bitterness may forecast patterns, listen to this, biological dysregulation, right? You're talking about the actual physical nature of who your body is. A psychological impairment that can affect metabolism, immune response, organ function, and physical disease, right? So this girl, Veronica, wrongs you. You decide you're going to be bitter at her persistently, intentionally. This is the response that your physical body would take from that. But, but it's just bitterness. It's just something I'm thinking, right? But this is what happens to your body. Another example would be, um, I would say just kind of um, unchecked worry, anxiety, stress, right? Jesus gives us this example, like, don't worry about things, right? Uh, I, I have, I take care of the sparrows. I know how many hairs are on your head, right? Just don't worry, right? So another example would be worry because when, when, when stress is chronic, right? Your cortisol levels stay elevated, in the long term, this contributes to a host of problems, including diabetes, cardiovascular disease, chronic gastrointestinal problems, such as irritable bowel system, right? So again, you think about these things, and again, we wouldn't normally associate the two, but you know, when we think about that there's this divide between the physical and the spiritual, or the body and the soul, or kind of healing and forgiveness, or church and medicine, right? 
I would just say that our normal response to Jesus, the, the guy comes out of the, 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 um, the, the roof and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And we think, well, why would he forgive his sins if he's, you know, paralyzed? But maybe there is a little bit more of a connection than we, we, would, we would think here, right? There would be a little bit of more of a connection than we would think. And I think, you know, again, going back to that, that initial, that the little boy, I heard one cry. Um, maybe when we go back to that original assumption that sin is destroying all of you, we have to understand that when Jesus speaks to his sinful condition, right? It is that sinful condition has destroyed spiritually, relationally, emotionally, mentally, uh, again, physically, like all those sorts of things, sin has diminished this man. Right, And I would say this too, because here's something really to consider. Um, In the ancient Near East, we don't consider this, you know, I try to point that there is a little bit more of a connection here, say between sin and our physical health. In the ancient Near East, right, the overwhelming assumption would have been a, a direct causation between physical health and spiritual condition. Right? So an example would be the, the example that's, that's used throughout all in the Bible. In the Gospel of John, Jesus comes across, Jesus and his disciples come across a, a man who's been born blind from, from, uh, from birth. Right? And he, the disciples say to Jesus, they say, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? That is, Julie's making like, sorry, she's like making like... <laughs> There's three of Robin's back there, Molly's back there, Cynthia's back there, Julia's back there. She's back there waving like. <laughs> um, Jesus and his disciples come across a man who's born blind. And the disciples ask, well, Jesus, who was it that sinned, him or his parents, that he's blind, right? So the dominant assumption in their day would have been that your, your spiritual condition, your sinfulness or, or your spiritual condition, whether that would be from your parents or from you, would be directly connected to your physical condition. Honestly, if this man was paralyzed and he was lying on the ground, everybody would have been thinking, man, what did he do that, what sin or what sin from his parents that he would have done that he would have been in this condition, right? And when Jesus, I would say this, you know, I, I don't know, this might be pushing it a little too far, but if, you know, if you're sitting there and somebody comes in and they're in a, you know, say somebody walks in and they have a, they come in in a wheelchair, right? And everybody, somebody rolls in in a wheelchair and we're thinking like, man, I wonder, I wonder who sinned. You know what I mean? Like, man, was it their parents who sinned, right? But in, we don't think that, but they would have thought that, right? And maybe if sin is what these people are all thinking that would have caused his condition, right? I wonder if they were at the same time thinking, man, I wonder if sin forgiveness could undo his condition as a paralyzed man. And I think that when Jesus says to this, because it's very odd that this man's lowered from the ceiling, Jesus maybe is almost undoing, or, or at least maybe people in the crowd are thinking, Jesus, are you undoing his condition through the forgiveness of sins? Jesus is beginning with the cause here, right? The other thing to say about the healing, um, let's see here. The other thing to say about the healing too is that, you know, you think about this, this, this the whole passage kind of, you know, flip-flops on this, this um this sin forgiveness piece, right? 
why Jesus does this, the effects of that, those sorts of things. Um, if Jesus, um, if I'm sorry, if, if this man would have wanted sin forgiveness, where would he have gone? Anybody know? To the temple, right? He would have gone to the temple. It would have been really easy. You can go to the temple. This, the, the, he could have said, hey, you know, I need sin forgiveness. Carry me to the temple. I'll offer the, I don't know, two doves. I'll offer the sacrifice. I'll offer that. Maybe she just wants to watch the sermon. I don't know what she's doing back there. She just keeps speak, poking her head over like Mr. Wilson from, um, yeah, what's that, what's that? Home, home Improvement. Was it Mr. Wilson in Home Improvement? And Mr. Wilson in Dennis the Menace? Home improvement was the one I was thinking of. He always just pokes his head over the face and you only see like, or his fence. Okay, what was I talking about? If you wanted sin forgiveness, you go to the temple. You offer the sacrifice. You, you go through those steps there, right? This was, um, that's what you would do. But what this man does, right? Um, or, or what his friends do is, is they don't take him to the temple, right? They take him to Jesus. What do they want from Jesus? Healing. They probably heard about the leper. They've probably heard about the time after Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, that Jesus is out front and he's healing all these people and driving out demons, right? They go through all these extraordinary steps of carrying him up onto the roof, digging through the roof, lowering him down, all those sorts of things, because they want Jesus, they want him to be healed, right? Um, So, where am I going to go here? So they, they drop him down and they want him to be healed. And again, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And what's interesting about this too is the teachers of the law, right? Let me read it from the Bible. Teachers of the law are sitting there thinking to themselves, right? Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Teachers of the law are sitting there thinking to themselves. He's blaspheming. Why does his fellow talk like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And what's, what we could say is that the teachers of the law are exactly right, right? The teachers of the law are exactly right. If I were to come into this room, right, and I were to walk around to each one of you and say, in the name of Eric, your sins are forgiven, you would all say, uh, he's blaspheming, right? There is no way that in the name of Eric, I could walk around and say that your sins are forgiven, I mean, I could, um, you know, I could say that, but that's, for you guys to sit here and be like, uh, he's lost his mind would be right, right? It would be right. But here's, here's where, the, where the passage pivots, right? Jesus does something. He's, you know, he's condemned, he's questioned, right? And then he responds unconventionally. Here's where the passage pivots, is that he pivots with the physical healing of this man, right? He pivots with the physical healing of this man. And this physical healing, which is visible, which is external, which is verifiable, is the connection between the authority to forgive sin and Jesus' claim to be God, right? We have to remember in, in these passages, we come in here and we know that Jesus is God and we think of him as a member of the Trinity and the divine son of God. You have to remember as Jesus, especially early on in his ministry, is making this claim of his unique and oneness and his relationship with God, right? The physical healing, 
that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth, to, to authority on earth to forgive sins, right? Then he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and walk. If I were to walk around, okay, sorry, I don't, I'm thinking about Debbie, right? Debbie comes to church, her leg's amputated, right? And she's sitting there, and I walk around and say, in the name of Eric, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. And you guys all look at me like, eh, maybe he had moldy cereal. I don't know what his problem is. You know, something really is wrong with him this morning, right? But then I were to say, and then Debbie, I want you to have your leg regrown and walk, right? At least in that moment, if that happened, you would at least take a little bit of a pause and say, well, who's this guy now, right? Who's this guy now? That he's saying these things, but that you may know that Eric has authority on earth to do these sorts of things. Debbie, I want your leg to grow back and I want you to get up and walk out of here, right? At least you'd be like, okay, hold on a second. We got to rethink some things here, right? This is what Jesus is doing. This is what Jesus is doing. Now, this physical healing, again, where does he get this? Why does Jesus decide to do this? Jesus was, we talked about this in the very beginning. Jesus was steeped in the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament. He read the Old Testament. It was where he got his identity, is where he got his, his um, authority, is where he, he kind of grew and understood how he would act in ministry. If you go back to the book of Isaiah, right? As Isaiah is laying out this prophecy, this day of the Lord, this time when God comes to set things right, that this news may bring cheer to all the discouraged ones. Encourage those who are afraid. Tell them, be strong, fear not, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. Listen to this. When your God comes, right, he will open the eyes of the blind. We're about to read that in a couple chapters. He will unstop the ears of the deaf. We're going to read that in a couple chapters as well too. Verse 6, the lame man will leap up like a deer and those who could not speak will shout and sing. Jesus will literally check every single one of these things off. This is where Jesus gets his identity. This is what Isaiah was talking about when this man comes to, again, this God, when God comes, right, to destroy your enemies. And not the, the enemies of, of Rome and Greece and the pagans and the Gentiles, the ultimate enemy. The enemy that's underneath all of this, right? Death, sickness, pain, hurt, right? The enemy that's underneath it all. He's coming to save you. Um, let me see here. I got just four kind of quick ones that I want to talk about. I want us to remember as we think about miracles, um, we think about miracles this, these next couple weeks and months, they are never the point, they are the pointers, okay? They are always pointing to something else. I, here's a silly example. I have this guy, and you know, occasionally I will, you know, kind of use my little laser pointer. Um, if I were to use my laser pointer to say, uh, okay, I want you guys to remember this point this whole week. I want, this is, I want, and you, you know, you spend the whole time thinking to yourself, wow, look at that little red dot moving around. That's really exciting and wonderful. You know, that little red dot, look at all the little pixels and everything. And you spend your whole time thinking about the red dot instead of what I'm circling. What happened? You missed the point, right? When Jesus does miracles, 
They are the little red dot on the screen, but they are always pointing towards something else, right? In this case, what Jesus is pointing at, right? What Jesus is circling, what Jesus is trying to identify is that so that you may know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. Who has authority on earth to forgive sins? Only God does. And Jesus is saying, that's me. I have that authority to forgive sins, right? Jesus, the point that Jesus is making here, right, that he's pointing to beyond himself is his divine nature, is who he is in relationship with God. We think again, just, you know, Jesus, he is God. He's the second person of the Trinity, da, da, da. But Jesus is making that claim. He's pointing beyond himself to his relationship with God. Got it? Uh, Second thing to to remember as we go through miracles. um, Miracles lead to wonder, to amazement, to worship, to praise, not just cognitive belief, right? Um, We often think in terms like this, you know, like, God, if, if you were really just to show up and do a miracle, Right? Like if you were to show up and heal someone's leg or um, I, don't, I don't think, you know, cancer would be, would be taken away. Man, then I, then I would believe. Then I would know. Right? Then, I would really, then I would really serve you. But the thing is, anytime we see miracles in the Bible, they will often, mo- most often, lead to wonder and to amazement and to worship and to praise. Right? They will lead to worship and to praise. And they praised God saying, right? They didn't sit there thinking, oh, well, now we believe. They praised God saying, right? We have never seen anything like this. Miracles will help us worship God. They will help us praise God. They will help us give our all to God. They aren't just for us to sit there and think of like, oh, okay, you know, this is, this is what I'm supposed to believe, that Jesus can do miracles. That misses the point. Lastly, or two more things. Faith in Mark is not just, again, this is very similar. It's not just cognitive belief, but it's action. It's not just cognitive belief, but it's action. A lot of times people talk about faith as something that resides up here, right? I believe a certain set of dogmas, theologies, doctrines, etc., right? I believe these things here, and that is my faith, right? Um, Faith, at least as we encounter it in the gospel of Mark, is action. It's doing. Think of the friends, what the friends do. They bring the man, they carry the man, they open the roof, they dig through it, they lower the man, and then the Bible says, when Jesus saw their faith, what was their faith? That they sat there and thought, oh yeah, Jesus could heal my friend, right? That wasn't their faith. It was all the action steps that they actually did. Sometimes we get a little bit stuck, I would say, in our Western Christianity of just like, oh yeah, I have faith because it resides up here. Faith in the gospel of Mark, faith for us us as Christians is always action. It's always movement. It's always doing something. And then one last thing. Uh, Man, my mentor Adam would, would use this point. I love this. Jesus will often ask people or instruct people to do exactly what they can't, right? Exactly what they can't. Um, sorry to use, continue to use this, this lady Debbie as an example this morning. Um, but she's sitting there and I say, Debbie, 
get up and walk, right? Get up and jump around. And we would all kind of look like, wow, that's kind of insensitive, Eric. Like, you know, calm down a little bit. But if I were to say, you know, that when Jesus says this to people, exactly what he can't do, he can't get up and walk, right? You know, the, the man with leprosy shouldn't be able to go into the temple, right? All these sorts of things Jesus tells them to do exactly what they can. And here's why this is important. Here's why we need to think about this for a second as we close. Because there are certain things in your life, we talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago, we, we called them, um, when you hit a wall, right? When you hit a wall in life, things that you bumped up to in your life that you think, yeah, that's just the way it is. That's just who I am. That's just how I exist. Jesus will speak into your heart and say, I want you to do exactly what you think you cannot do, right? Whatever you think is your wall, whatever you think is your limitation, whatever you think is your paralysis, whatever you think is holding, your, holding you back, I'm going to tell you, get up, take your mat, and walk, right? And he still does that to us today in different ways. I don't know what it is, what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning, whatever it is, he is asking you, he is telling you to do exactly what you can. And as you begin to take those steps, the healing bursts forth in your life. And we need to remember that, right? For whatever that is for us, wherever that happens, we need to remember that. So, um, yeah, that's about all I got this morning. Let me close this in prayer. We'll do a little discussion too. Um, yeah, Lord, just, I don't know, just kind of working through this passage, thinking, studying, observing what you were doing, how you were teaching, um, how you moved in and out of this, in and out of that, that world, how you were challenged, the conflict, the response. I think more than anything, again, I, I don't want to, to sit here and just like, okay, I believe in Jesus. I want us to worship, to praise, to give adoration to, to give us, to give attention, trust, to value, to pour our hearts out to you. And not just, you know, in, 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 the, in the music time as we think about worship. I want us to worship with our lives. I want us to praise you with our lives. I want our lives to be, um, to be manifest, to give testimony to the goodness of God. Help us, Lord. Some of us this morning in this room were discouraged. Some of us in this, in this room this morning, we've just kind of become complacent. We've settled a bit. Um, we've become distracted. And we forgot that in the midst of kind of all of life, that you're speaking to us. And you're challenging us. And in the places where we've become paralyzed, you're calling us to get up, take our mat, and walk. Thank you, Lord, for this time to be together this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. A couple questions. 
Uh, the three P's, the praise, the pushback, and the problems. Uh, yeah, I mean, that kind of just that boundary between the physical and the spiritual. You know, again, we think about that. Um, how might your perception have changed a little bit on that? Is, is that something that was, you know, something to kind of reconsider? Uh, how do you see, you know, we, I made that statement that sin will just destroy all of us, all of you, every part of you, society. How do you maybe see that? How do you sin destroying? Maybe I forgot to put a word in there. How do you see sin destroying all of you, all of us? Um, can you think of another miracle um, and, and utilize that, that kind of idea that the miracle isn't the point, but it's pointing to something else? Like if you were to think about like um, when Jesus, okay, just previous one, when Jesus casts out a demon, right? Again, it's not just that Jesus does this miracle, but what is that pointing so can you kind of think about that, um, think about another miracle and, and utilize that, not the point, but a pointer paradigm. And of the last four, yeah, which would you spend more time going into discussion or which would you spend more time kind of discussing further? So, um, yeah, maybe if there's one of those you'd want to discuss further or kind of think, think more about. Cool? Take a few minutes.